Hello, everybody. This is a Shift 10 podcast, uh, episode 29, and we have a special guest today, Michael Kriegsman, and uh, he will introduce himself right now. Michael, please. Oh, thank you so much for having here, having me here. I'm just thrilled. So I am an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk, and I we bring together the most innovative, interesting leaders, business leaders in the world, talking about disruption and how they're managing their business and managing changes in expectations from buyers, from employees, and related topics. So thank you for having me. Oh, great. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an honor for us because I've read, I've, read, I've seen your uh, CXO, CXO talks, a few of them, and I, I'm really impressed by the quality. Our podcast is not as high quality as, as your, um, your talks. Um, but as I said, mostly programmers and IT managers are listening to us. And my, my questions today will be about uh, management of teams and resolving problems with uh, teams slash people which, which actually write software, which create the products. So you will, I will have a lot of questions about that. And I will start with the first one about IT failures. I've, I've seen you on a few movie, on a few YouTube videos saying that uh, blaming project managers is not you know, the, the best recipe for resolving IT failures. So my question is, what do you think is the, the primary cause of IT failures and what's the right resolution for them in the majority of cases? Well, I'm so glad you, you brought that issue up because when there's a problem on an IT project, it's, it's very tempting to look at the project manager because the project manager is the visible person, right? They're the person managing, controlling the schedule or controlling, at least on the surface, the budget. Mm -hmm. And so it's tempting to point the finger there and say, oh, it's that person's fault. And now we don't have to worry about it any longer. Mm -hmm. In reality, projects fail not because the, the person managing the schedule usually got something wrong. They fail because there's a lack of communication among different stakeholder groups. So, for example, you have um, you have this software development, you have the software vendor, say, it, say it's an implementation, software implementation. You have the software company, you have the customer who's, that's buying this software, you have the system integrator. And each of these groups has a different set of uh, objectives and goals. So the customer just wants the software implemented, the software company wants to sell their software. The system integrator tries to sell services. And so the incentives are, are different. But then it gets even more complicated. So inside the customer, for example, you may have different stakeholder groups from different departments. And each of these departments wants their particular problem solved. Only we're implementing one system. We're not implementing five different systems for five different departments. And so, so it becomes very complex. And so therefore, to simply say that, oh, it's you know, the project manager screwed up, it's, it's simplistic and it's, it's oftentimes and usually a mistake. It doesn't solve the problem. But like you said, the problem is the communication, the, the, the mistakes in the communication, right? I think, yes, I think it's expectation. So for example, if you're, if you're building software and inside a company, what are, what are you actually building, right? I mean, look at, look at agile development. Why does agile exist? One of the core reasons is to ensure that the developers and the end users are closely aligned. Mm -hmm. And if so, if you don't have the right type of communication, if you think about traditional waterfall development, that was one of the big problems is you had these big projects and at point zero, when the project is starting, the developers go out and gather requirements. And if it's a big project, the users may not see any results for a year, could be longer than a year. By which time the end user, well, first off, many of the end users may have moved on, but their needs may have changed because the world changes and the business changes. 
-hmm. And to me, I, I call these failures of communication and I call these uh, mismatched expectations. I totally agree. But the question is, who is supposed to be responsible for resolving that issues? Well, isn't that an interesting question? And I think that's, you know, there are so, you know, the statistics say that something up to 70% of IT projects are late or over budget. Uh And it's not that these people are stupid. It's that it's really complex. As we know, building software, as you know much better than I do, you're a developer, building software is really hard. And getting business people on the same page to articulate what they need. And then over time, ensuring that, that those needs are stable, that they're not, that it's not a shifting goal. It's, it's really hard. So the answer to who's responsible, I'm hesitating because again, you know, let me tell you what I was thinking and I'll tell you why I'm, why I'm hesitating. So what I was thinking is it's actually the business people who are responsible because it's their, ultimately it's their project. But then again, maybe it's not their project. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the IT department's project. Uh-huh. So, so, so who's responsible? Let me ask you, who's responsible? It's, well, it's I, thought, I thought that we have project managers exactly to, to help us solve those problems. So we are programmers, we're sitting, we know how to write code, and we have some customers who know what they need. So we need some, some middleman, we need somebody who will you know, connect us somehow and make sure that we're synchronized and resolve all the communication issues. And that's why when we don't have uh, proper resolutions and we have problems, then we are ready to blame the project manager. That's what I thought. Okay, well, it's it, you know, fair enough. It's 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 a reasonable perspective, mm-hmm. in theory, but I would argue that in practice, what you've done is you have forced the project. I'm a big fan of project managers. You can tell. Mm-hmm. So in practice, what you've what you're doing is you're forcing the project manager to have expertise expertise, both on the business side, and on the development side, but not only that, not only do you want the project manager to have expertise in both of those areas, but you all are demanding the project manager to be able to interpret both sides, interpret intention and meaning on both sides and the person that bridges the gap. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, 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 I would have a very hard time playing that role. It's a really hard role. So I'm not sure that it's that you can say that. That's why I say it's really complex. Yeah, that's true. And let's, let me put it this way. What would you suggest to blame project manager for? <laughs> that's an interesting question. <laughs> I love your questions. <laughs> uh, what would I, I would blame project managers for getting the, for managing the schedule and the budgets incorrectly. So it is the job, the responsibility of the project manager to gather the information that is needed in order to put together a schedule mm-hmm. and then be communicating at all times with the people contributing to that schedule to ensure that, that there are no issues, that there won't be any issues causing delays, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so clearly managing time and managing money is clearly the job of the project manager. On the other hand, can you, you can't really say that the project manager uh, is responsible if the developer somehow screwed up or if the business people are late. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I keep going back to the other hand and the other hand because, it's, because there are so many pieces to this. Mm-hmm. So on the other hand, the best project managers that I know become invisible. And what I mean by that is they're just managing things and handling things so well that everything, the project just sort of goes and does what it's supposed to do without any hassle or stress to the other people involved. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's, a, that's the ideal kind of project manager. But again, in summary, the project manager manages is responsible for time and money and making sure that those two things come out. 
mm -hmm. in the right way. I like the, 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 the concept of being invisible, but on the other hand, I, I hear a lot people saying that uh, project management is dead and leadership is alive. So we don't need managers anymore, we need leaders. And leaders, by definition, according to my understanding, they are visible. So they are always up front, they're always in, ahead of everybody else, they, they're leading people. So how would you put these two things together? So do we need leaders who are visible or we need project managers who are invisible? I, again, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I think that the project manager, you need, to, you need both of those things. From strictly a project management standpoint, I don't, if, if I have a project manager working for me and they're doing project management, I don't know, by the way, I have construction outside. Can you hear that right now? A little bit, but it doesn't bother me a lot. I can hear okay. you. Yeah. Okay. So if I have a project manager working for me, I really just want that project management to be transparent to me. I, I don't want to deal with it. That's that person's job. And if they're doing their job well, the project is just happening in, in a great way. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the issue of leadership, I do ideally want that project manager to play the role I was describing earlier, which is to talk with the, the end users, to talk with the developers, and to build up a kind of uh, 3D model, I don't mean literally, but a mental 3D model mm -hmm. of, what's, of, what the, of what's needed, of, on, of what the users need on the one side, and what the developers uh, reasonably are capable of accomplishing within reasonable time and budgets on the other side to communicate. And to do that absolutely requires leadership. And so I think that there's no conflict between the project manager being invisible for certain things and taking a very strong leadership role at other times. I think that both of those should work together. I absolutely agree with you. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's the job of a project manager or a leader to find the team, to build the team, to, to put the team together, or somebody else has to do that? Like in many companies, there are HR departments for that. And sometimes and quite often project managers or leaders or team leaders, they just happen to have a team. They just uh, you know, happen to be here and they have a team and they have to manage the team. So do you think it has to be, this process has to be driven by the leader, by the project manager, or the manager has to be able to manage whatever it is in the office, whoever it is in the office? So on this one, I think that the issue of leadership is you do want the project manager in this case to be a very strong leader. Because I tell you what, what I don't think works well, and which, which as you're describing happens in many companies, that uh, somebody puts together some boss someplace. Mm -hmm. puts together a budget and says, okay, we need this project done. Here's the budget. HR hires the team. And then they, they call in the project manager and they say, here's your problem. Here's your project. Here is your team. Here's your budget. And here's your schedule. Now, good luck. Get it done. Yeah. Well, that's terrible. That doesn't work. And that's, you know, you talk about a cause of IT failures. Well, right there, you have a good one. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that if the project manager uh, is taking that leadership role, then they should have input into the hiring of the team. They should have input into the definition of the project. Because if you don't have, if, the, if you don't have communication up front at the beginning, before the project begins, in the definition of the problem, what are we actually trying to solve with technology? Mm -hmm. then, then the solution becomes some, it becomes compromised. Mm -hmm. And so what you really want is, the ideal is to have uh, the business being the driver of, of the, the need, because it's a business project, not an IT project. Mm -hmm. You bring in the project manager to have the d discussions. The, the project manager should be part of those business discussions. Mm -hmm. As the business isolates what it actually needs, the project manager can then go to the development department and start having conversations with the development management saying, you know, we need this thing done. 
and it's, it's urgent or it's not urgent, whatever it is. And now can we start to get some developers involved so that we can construct the project from a development side in a way that is realistic, that's going to help us get this thing done as, as, we, as the business needs. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great, that's a great role for, uh, let's, let's distinguish uh, between a project manager and a project leader. Mm-hmm. That's a role for a project leader. Yeah. Do you know sometimes people, they, they say that there is a role of a product owner, so-called, like there is a project manager who is responsible for, like you said, schedule, budget, I don't know, risks, quality, control of that things. And we have a product owner who is responsible for making the product bright, you know, who are responsible mm-hmm. for how the product is going to uh, satisfy the requirements of our users or our business part and all that stuff. So what do you think about the separation of a project manager who is like a person of a documentation person mostly and management and a product owner who is more like a product person? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's fine. I, I, I think it in some situations, especially with a complex environment or where you have a lot of people involved, uh, it's a great idea just because in this case, the product owner, as you're describing, is taking the role of the uh, understanding the business needs. Yeah. However, I would say that, uh, I, again, I think it's an, a mistake to simply delegate the, assume that the project manager can manage uh, the budget and manage the time frame without understanding the project goals. Uh-huh. Yes, it's done all the time, but I think the better, the more up to speed the project manager is, the better a job uh, she or he will do. That's my own opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can tell you the story which happened to me a few years ago. I was working in a company and uh, uh, they, like my manager, my, my boss, decide, the CTO of the company, he decided to put me in charge of a small group of, of developers. And uh, when I started to work with this group of developers, I quite like next day I found out that one person is not really a good developer at all. And it would be better if I do something, I mean, remove that person somehow from the team and move it somewhere else. So I wasn't really happy with the productivity of that guy, not, not the productivity, but, but the professional skills mostly. Mm -hmm. So I, it was clear that he's not as good programmer as other people there. And I started to complain about that, but the boss, the CTO told me that, that these people are in this company way longer than I am. So I just have to put up with that and just manage what I have. So mm-hmm. I don't have the, the, the power. I don't have the permission to, to do any organizational changes in this team. Mm-hmm. And that was a really difficult situation for me because it was obvious that I had to do some organizational changes, but because in order to demonstrate to the team, for example, that I care about the quality, I see the difference between good programmer and bad programmer, but I wasn't able to do anything because my hands were tied by my upper management. So how would you, you know, analyze that one? What, what is it? Yeah, no, it's, t- it's tough. I think that one would be hard for anybody. Uh-huh. It's you're, you're kind of in a no win situation there. And because on the one hand, you you know that the person who's doing the job doesn't have the skills to get the job done in the right way. Yeah. And at the same time, you don't have the ability to make a change, which means that when the project fails, you will be blamed. True. And so in that case, you might want to look for another job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, if it's really, look, if it's a very big project, a very important, very visible project, and, and you're in this kind of situation where you know you're going to fail, where you know the project will fail and you will be blamed for it in the end, mm-hmm. then, you know, maybe it's best to leave. Maybe, maybe but, that's, but that, uh, that's my, here's my next question. That person who was not really a good programmer, he was really a good communicator. He was staying mm-hmm. in this team from the first day. So he knew everybody. He was like a glue in the team. You know, he was a good, you know, he, he talked a lot. He, he knew all the stories of this company. He was like, a, he was like the, the, the main guy of the company, even though he was not the best programmer, the worst one, but mm-hmm. he was like a friend of everybody else. 
So I that agree. brings me to the next question. So what's more important for us, to have the, the programming skills or to have that so-called soft skills, the ability to talk to people around us? Maybe that will help us to stay in companies and in projects for longer, like my example demonstrates. Well, that's a very good point. I think I don't think you could say that one is actually more important than the other. I I think I I would probably give the nod a little bit to the technology to the technical skills because if you don't have sufficient technical skills then your project you just can't build what you need to do. On the other hand, even if you have great development skills if the communication is not there then your your project you'll end up with a project after it's done and you've spent the time you spent the money that doesn't do what it's supposed to do mm -hmm. so in a case like this one where everybody likes this person maybe what it would be possible to do is like this might be a good case where you can split off the development role into two pieces and make this person like the the product owner yeah, because they're good so, communicators mm -hmm. and you can get say okay well can you spend 10 hours a week doing this thing and then let's get mary from your colleague mary or joe to to help with development and you make sure that mary or joe is a really really strong developer mm -hmm. so yes. that's an idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, because now currently i hear it very often that people are saying that uh just writing code will not get you anywhere so you have to know how to talk to people, especially now when people are, uh, you know, are sitting further and further away from each other. There are more remote programming, more remote IT work, and uh, companies are spread over the world. So how to talk to people, especially people sitting somewhere and speaking different languages, is more important skill than just creating code. That's what I hear. I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, I myself for CXO Talk have a very distributed team. We have people in the US, in mm -hmm. India, in um, the UK, in Australia. Mm -hmm. So, so I think the, when you have a distributed team, the ability to articulate both uh, the business requirements, the needs, as well as issues that come up on development becomes even more important. And where it gets very difficult is when you have um, different cultural attitudes or, or different, um, you know, different words can have slightly different meanings in, in different cultures, you know, here in, in the US versus say India. I mean, so you have to then kind of you have to somehow learn to overcome that because otherwise it becomes very frustrating right it's like i've told this person what to do and yet they're not doing it mm -hmm. but what you told them may not be what they understood and so it becomes so it places a greater burden on everybody to to be clearer and emphasize uh that that communication it's hard wouldn't be yeah it's a good it's a good point i totally agree i'm i'm also managing programmers from different parts of the world and i see that sometimes one person from uh, from moscow another person from san francisco they need different types of you know explanation in order to to get yes. to understand what needs to be done but isn't it let's talk a little bit about this diversity problem isn't it some kind of you know a first step to discrimination sort of if i for example i'm a manager and i have managers under me wouldn't it be right to like call a meeting and say you know guys if you manage programmers in india this is how you manage them but if you manage people in san francisco this is how you manage them they may say look what are you talking about they're all like we are supposed to be like you know equally managed so why this sort of you know discrimination in the way in the way of management yeah i think you raise a good point and i think you have to be extremely delicate uh, about that and and I'm not advocating that you should do that either. I think that would probably be a mm -hmm. mistake. Yeah. However, there are some very practical things, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, just for example, in certain times of the year, in certain places in different parts of the world, there can be a rainy season. 
Mm -hmm. And the, it's conceivable that during the rainy season, the developer can't get to work. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you have to just, you know, it's just the way that it is. And, and you have to acknowledge and recognize that. So that's kind of a, you know, maybe it's an obvious example, but there are differences between people. And I th think that we need to respect those, respect those differences. And it also becomes place the burden on ourselves to try to understand what we need to do in order to communicate more effectively for the benefit of the other people that we're working with. So mm -hmm. I think that it becomes a big problem when you start to point the finger at, at other people and say, oh, they need to change. They need to be different. As opposed to saying, you know, this is not working, so I need to figure out what to do. How can I be a better communicator? How can I listen more carefully? What can I ask them to help, help me understand what's going on with them? All of which comes, for, for me, has to come from the perspective of, of being respectful to those people and making the, starting with the assumption that everybody on your team has been selected very carefully and they're all competent and they're all trying to do the right thing. And therefore, if there's a problem, it's not intentional. And so we have to work together and collaborate to solve it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, look, if, you're, if, you're, if you have teammates that are weak, then you have to deal with that. But, if, but assuming you've hired the right people and you have the right people, then everybody has to make that effort. That's my, that's my feeling. That's a good point, like right people. Let me give you another example. Um, sometimes, for example, in our company, we have the quality control and uh, the quality control procedures, they demand certain things from all programmers. So no matter where you're from, no matter what, what's your culture, no matter what's your gender or whatever, you're just supposed to like follow these procedures in order for your code to, to be you know, accepted and you get paid, for example. Mm -hmm. And we just know, and it's like scientific fact, that people in certain regions of this world are more or less let's, assertive. So for example, people from Western Europe and Northern part of the Europe, they are more assertive and more direct than people from Asia, for example. So when you tell somebody from Germany that you have to do it this way, that person will just, just understand that this is the procedure and will do it that way. It's just, you know, cultural thing. And people from Asia, they will feel more like there, there, is, there, there is some, you know, uh, area for compromise and they will try to find a compromise. So for them, it will Hello? be... Hello, can you hear me? Uh, now I hear you. It dropped yeah. out for a minute. Yeah, sorry. So for, so for those people, like, for example, Asian part of the world and from India, for example, they will be, our process, our procedures, our uh, discipline of, of the work will be more difficult to, to adopt to because this is against their, their culture. It's against their, uh, how they usually work in their territory. Mm -hmm. So would it be correct for us as a company to say, you know, we're, we don't want to hire people from Asia because we know that for them it's difficult to work in our, uh, in our model. So we just hire people from, say, Germany. I think um, you, have to, you have to be careful. Um, you, have to, you have to be careful about making... Uh, distinctions that are potentially discriminatory okay this is very discriminatory like i told you yes it definitely yeah. i don't make that yeah. i'm just i'm just thinking that what would happen if i do that i'm not doing it now because you know what i'm doing now and i'm trying to 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 help everybody who joins us to follow the procedure but i just see that for some people it's more difficult for some people it's easier so I'm thinking, what if I say, or other companies who are listening to us right now, what if we just say, you know, we just know that that certain amount of people, certain group of people coming from that culture, from coming from that territory, they just it, it will be just difficult for them to, to, to work like we work. So how about we discriminate them? I don't like to say that, but I'm just suggesting. What do you think? Yeah, I, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you just have to be really careful. I think there's two parts of it. One you have to be very careful against discriminating against a group. 
And I think it's, it would be generally unfair to say that everybody in Asia, no one in Asia can do the work the way that we wanted to do, right? I mean, that's just wrong. That's, that's wrong. Not yeah. correct. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you can expect individuals and demand that individuals do it the way you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think that you can, I think that you should apply the same set of criteria to all groups. Okay. You have a criteria for how you do development. You have a set of expectations for how you work and what you want mm -hmm. and different countries uh, you know, have different economics, for example, yeah. and different time zones as well. And yeah. so you then choose the developer based on a number, and this is always true, right? I mean, you, you're going to choose based on a number of characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to choose based on, are they qualified? Can they do the work? Uh, mm -hmm. The price, because different economies, different countries have different pricing levels. So what's the cost? going to be. Mm -hmm. You're going to choose based on time zone. So for example, if you're in the US, you might want somebody in Europe who's five hours time zone difference as opposed to Australia or Singapore, say where it's 12 hours time mm -hmm. zone. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to, and then there's education. You know, you're going to choose based on education, which is going to be also correlated to the amount of money that you pay. And you're going to choose based on, on experience. How much experience does this person have both as a developer and also working on the types of projects that, that I am working on, mm -hmm. right? So you're going to look at all of these characteristics. And I think that when you start isolating groups of people based on that, you know, rich set of characteristics, then, then you go, into into discrimination and you also are now cutting off like people who could do a great job for you both of those things are happening that's true yeah like you just said for example if i decided i only hire somebody with a master's degree or higher then i basically discriminate the group of programmers who were not able to get the master's degree for for certain reasons right mm -hmm. But I, 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 I entirely isolate that group of developers who potentially may bring good value to the project, but I just say no to them just at the beginning of the hiring process, just because they don't have the degree. Yeah, but you know what? If you, let's say that you have, so now you've hired all of these people with master's degrees and PhDs, and now you have all these really uh, experienced people and you're paying a lot of money for them. Mm -hmm. And now you need people to fix bugs or to do testing. Yeah. So now you're going to go and you're going to hire people with much less experience who are much less expensive. And you're also now going to be discriminating against the class of people who have master's degrees. True. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that I, I think this is a very, very, very important issue. One needs to be very, very sensitive to it. But at the same time, I mean, I, I think you can kind of go overboard. I mean, look, every job has requirements. Exactly. Yeah. So we do discriminate anyhow, right? So somehow we discriminate, but maybe the question is what exact, what, what criteria we discriminate on? Like uh, the criteria which the, the, these people have no control over, for example, gender or the color of the skin or the criteria which these people can control like education, maybe, I don't know. We, we, you know, I, I'm not sure discrimination in this case is the right term. The reason yeah. is that discriminate, yes, it is discrimination in a sense, but but actually, the problem is, is that discrimination has taken on uh, a lot of uh, cultural and social and political very, very negative overtones. Yeah. When, when the reality is, is that we make discriminations or, or let's, instead of using the term discriminations, let's say we make judgments or evaluations True. constantly all day long. I mean, when you choose to go to uh, your local coffee shop as opposed to Starbucks, you're discriminating against the class of people who work at Starbucks. Exactly. <laughs> and vice versa. If you go to Starbucks, you know, why are you discriminating against, um, you know, people that run independent coffee shops? But the reality is, is that there's some criteria that's important to you. Like, 
you know, the, the local people, I want to support my local businesses or they make coffee better or they don't make coffee well. So I go to Starbucks and we make these judgments and we make these evaluations all the time, but we have to be intelligent. But when it comes to, I think it's different when it comes to people and we have to be very careful not to give in to uh, pre-existing biases that we may possess that both is wrong culturally, socially, it's just the wrong thing to do. And at the same time can also compromise our ability to put together a diverse team, which mm. every, you know, in CXO Talk, I, t I speak with some of the most experienced leaders and researchers in the world. And without exception, when I talk with people who understand team dynamics, they say, diverse teams bring great strength. And so we don't want to limit our teams and, and block ourselves from having the advantage of diversity of different types of people and different types of experience and different types of uh, perceptions. Mm -hmm. But it's a delicate issue. For oh sure. yeah, very much, yeah. Don't you think that those speakers are saying that a little bit or maybe part or maybe mostly because of the modern trend in this area and it's just it's just important to say that or they really feel that no i think that people i no i think that um the people i i speak with you know they're studying this stuff uh -huh. and and i i wish i had data on this right in front of me but i mean i'll just give you an example I spoke, I interviewed just very recently, it's, I haven't published this yet, one of the very top people of ADP. You know, it's a huge company, they, the payroll processing company. Mm -hmm. It's one of the largest companies in the world, and I, and I just interviewed their head of products. And he was saying to me that their research says that diverse teams bring the greatest strength. Mm-hmm. And that's not something light. I mean, when they go, when a company like that goes out and does research, it's very serious. And so when somebody tells me that, I say, I believe it. And I don't think that they're just saying it because it sounds nice to say. They're saying it because they, th they are, want their customers, their clients to follow that recommendation. But they are saying that diverse teams bring great value comparing to non-diverse teams or just great value? Uh, I, think it, I, I think it's com compared to non-diverse teams because we have, because also diversity has, can take on, as we were just talking, can take on many different attributes. So for example, you can have a team of the attribute of country of origin, of, um, of, of racial composition, of, um, of background and experience, of whether they're a full-time employee or a contractor, right? So there's all of these different dimensions. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that for your given, for any given project, you need to look at what, what are the dimensions that, the judgments that you need to make to compose your project, your team. Look, at the end of the day, you know, we're talk, we started this conversation talking about uh, IT failures and, and project yeah. management. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, there is one single, single cause of success or failure on a project, and that is the people that are involved. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Because if you have the right people, the right people means that they have the right skills. And they also have the right judgment. So if you have the right development skills and you have a project manager or you have a, um, a product owner, as you were describing, who is able to talk with the business people and you have business people who are clear and not conflicted themselves about what they want, you bring all of those things together and you will have a successful project. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the composition of your team, the success of the project, and, and to get back to the very first question you asked me is, you know, should we be blaming the project manager? Mm -hmm. And I make the argument that the, the success 
comes before the project begins. Before the project begins, that's where success lives. And it's all about the manage the, the selection of your team. Mm -hmm. And so diverse teams are a part of it. It's not the only factor, but it's certainly, but it's a part of it. Oh, definitely. But look, you just, everything you just said, I totally agree. So the skills are important. The selection of the team is important. But then all of a sudden we have this statement, this claim that uh, it, when the team is ready, let's say that we, we selected the right people, we know that the skills are perfect or good enough for us. And then we think, okay, wait a second, this, the team is not diverse. So we don't have, we only have like programmers who are from 25 to 27. So we don't have anybody who is over 50. So now we need to find somebody who is over 50 be, to make the team diverse. So we need to remove somebody who has good skills and get somebody who maybe have also good skills, but that person will be over 50, right? Doesn't okay. It is weird? <laughs> well, <laughs> see, I don't think that's weird at all. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because it, 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 but it depends on what you're doing. So let's say, for example, that you are building enterprise, let's say two different situations, okay? And the one situation you're building enterprise software where, where to understand the business process, you really need to have worked and worked for, you know, a career, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and there's, there are types of software where if you don't understand the business processes and understand how enterprises work, it's not, the software is not gonna come out right. So in a case like that, then if you don't have somebody who really understands the process, which means a senior person, maybe not as a developer, but on the business side to explain it to the developer, you have a big problem. On the other hand, if you're building an app for college students, then I don't see the value necessarily in somebody who's been working for 30 years inside a big company. Exactly. But then the manager will tell you, no, 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 we want the diversity. We, we, it's important to get somebody who is over 50, who is senior because the, the diverse team is more productive, like, we, like everybody says now. Uh, I mean, so doesn't it, doesn't it, that's my question. So doesn't it look like the aiming for diversity, no matter what, it's kind of, not stupid, but it's kind of weird because the diversity by itself is not the, the, the logical goal because the goal is the right skills. The goal is the people who, has, who have the right skills and diversity comes next. That's maybe, that's, I'm asking you. Yeah, I think that this is, I, I don't think it's that complicated, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I think you build your team as you're describing based on the skills that you need mm -hmm. at the same time and the, and the outcome, right? I mean, you're trying to get a certain outcome. So what's the team that will help you build that outcome? Okay, so that's, that's where you start. At the same time, there are uh, legal and compliance and also ethical issues that are involved in team selection. Mm -hmm. So as long as you are using common sense about the building of the team based on what you really need, and you're not violating legal compliance or ethical considerations in the selection of the team members, I think that's I don't know what else you can do. I mean, you can't, that's all you can really do. You can only try your best and make a good faith effort at doing this and don't violate legal compliance and ethical standards when you're, when you're doing it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and sorry, and just, sorry, just to finish, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just, but to be respectful, you know, to like realize that when you're building your team, you have to start with a, a respectful and an open mind. And I think if you do that, you'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, that's exactly what I have in mind. So that's my thought. That's my thinking as well. That like, don't aim for diversity, but never say no. Don't never never uh, be prejudiced against against anything. So no matter who's coming in, if the skills are right, just get in. So no matter what is your age, what culture you're coming from, what's your doesn't matter. As long yeah. as you can bring the value to the project, you're welcome here. But saying that you know what we have enough you know, male programmers here. So now we need three more females. And because of that female, because of that, we don't hire male programmers anymore. No more dudes here. That's a little bit weird to me. Don't yeah, uh, that's right. Unless, unless you are, there are times when for legal or compliance reasons, you just have no choice. And, Unfortunately, right? Right. And then, then you have to, you know, you, you have to go with it. You don't have any alternative. Yeah. 
That's true. That, that's why I asked originally, I, I asked you like a few minutes ago, so what do you think these people are saying diversity, diversity is so great because this is the trend, because it's the legal requirements, or they really think so? Because if the law says so, okay, what can we do? We do it because, because it's a law. But do we really think so? Do we really think that the team has to include 50% of male programmers and 50% of female, while we all know that in the world, only 7%, 7, 8% of programmers are female. So building a team of 50-50, it's kind of, it's, it's against the market. It's impossible we, because we cannot find that many, you know, good female programmers versus good male programmers because it's of a misbalance on the market. We know that. It's a fact. Statistics. So we, you know, so why aiming for diversity? It will only make us worse. I, it will only make our team worse, not better. Yeah, I mean, this is why, this is why it's such a difficult problem to solve. But there's, some, there's another factor, another facet of this, which is when you hire somebody who is from a, uh, a group that historically has been discriminated against, like mm -hmm. women, for yeah. example, very often what you find is that at a, at a given level, the women are, may even be stronger than the men because to get to that level, and this is definitely true, I think, at senior levels, the, the woman has had to overcome so much to get to that same level that, that they have to have even better skills because, because of the adversity that they've just faced. Yeah, that's true. I agree. So that's another, that's another dimension of this, too. No, that's for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a difficult, difficult subject, actually, because um, we, we all talk about that, but it's, you know, we can't find a, <laughs> can't find a, like, an ultimate, ultimate uh, truth there, I think. No, it's, it's, it's a really hard one, but like I said, I think you, you start with your business goals, you start what you need, with what you need, uh, make sure you have respect for everybody, uh, you know, having as a goal, bringing diversity onto your team of whatever type in general is a very, very good thing. And so you, so you try to do that and then you make sure that you don't violate uh, legal, ethical or compliance standards. Mm -hmm. And if you really make a good faith effort at that and you're willing to, to work at trying to get women on your team, for example, eventually you'll, you'll be able to accomplish it. That's what I think. Okay. Yeah. Some, some people, yeah, I know a few people who are saying that we are like aiming for diversity and we actually achieve that. So we have like, you know, a good balance between different ages, different genders, all that stuff. But there, there, there are companies that do this. There yeah. are companies that are able to like hire a lot of women. Yeah. Uh, so it's not impossible. It can be done. Yeah, but like, for example, I can give you a practical example. I'm looking right now for a, a, a Ruby programmer for one of my projects, and I posted a, an ad on Stack Overflow. It's quite a big website for programmers. Mm -hmm. And I got like maybe 60 or 70 applications so far, and only one person is female out of there. So for me to build a team, a good team of Ruby developers, I cannot do it technically because I have 50, 50, 59 female, 59 male applications and one female. So what do I do? So what's my next step? Can, how can I, let's say I need a team of 10 people. So should I wait for another three months or it's impossible to achieve, you know, right. technically. It's just. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you could do is you could find somebody who is a female developer, a great Ruby developer who maybe has a job and say to them, do you know any female friends? Yeah, but she may also have the same statistics. I think she will also work with the same market. She will go, well, maybe a little bit more balanced towards females, but in general, the statistics will be close to the same, like 7% of the programmers are seven, eight or something are females. So it's like, it, it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. You're, you're right. You're saying they were discriminated or for historical reasons, we have that. We're not saying it's yeah. good. We're saying it's yeah. a fact, you know, a statistical fact. It's like, you know, the majority of pilots on the airplanes, they're males. Statistically, it's just the facts. So is it good or bad? It's a different, different question. But if you start an airplane company and you want to, have to, fire, to hire pilots, then you will deal with men only. That's, that's it. You cannot have 50% male, female there. It's not going to Yeah, so maybe what you do is you hire females in, in other uh, positions or maybe other types of teams 
you know, maybe you hire a female project manager or a female PR person where there's, it's easier to hire women. That's true. Um, yeah, that's true. And yeah there's definitely think, no solution. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, a, few more, a few more questions and we're close, close to the end. I wanted to ask you about uh, what do you think uh, in general about uh, hiring friends people who you know personally or going to the public market and getting people who are complete strangers when, the, when you start a project. So the question is how important personal relations, according to, like, to your experience, versus just professional skills or for a team? So you're talking about um, at the beginning, like when you're at starting out? Yeah. yeah, you're starting a team and you're starting like a new project and where do you find these skills? From your friends, you look over your connections and close friends or you go to the market? I, you know, I think a lot of times you don't have a choice. The reason I say that is it depends, it depends where you are. If you're just at the beginning, uh, if you don't have funding, if you haven't gotten funding yet, mm -hmm. then very often founders, you know, there's, there's two founders mm -hmm. or three founders who know each other professionally, who have the right skills and have a good, the right type of relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think in a case like that, then it's better to go with people that you know and you hope that they have the right skills, even though you recognize that maybe over time, uh, not everybody will have the right skills, which will then lead to the very, very painful situation exactly. of having to ask somebody to leave in the future. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's not so easy. You know, I mean, you know better than I do that if you're doing a startup, it's not just about the skills, but it's about the chemistry as well. Mm -hmm. And it's not so easy to put an ad in the paper that says, um, needing to hire co-founder must have good chemistry. Yeah. Right. It's like, finding a, so yeah, like a partner for marriage. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, can't do it for the ad. But I uh, think that once you're at a, at a more mature stage, where you've now got the core team together and you, you have the funding where you can go, where, where you're not looking for chemistry as much as you're looking for specific skills. But even then it makes sense to look, you know, to go to job boards and to look for professional things, professional uh, sources. However, at the same time, even at that stage, if your company, if you're trying to have a certain type of culture, then to me, technical skills is the least of it. You know, you can generally, unless you're looking for somebody who's a real specialist, you can, te hiring technical skills is a matter of money. You mm -hmm. have enough money, you can hire the right tech skills. However, finding somebody who's going to do what you want, who's going to fit in and be there for a while and give you what you need without life being horrible and stressful that's that's harder and so i can tell you when i hire people i look like like the technical skills are table stakes mm -hmm. i expect by the time i interview somebody i already know that technically they can do the job and so what i'm interviewing them for is or i suspect technically they can do the job or i don't even talk to them and so therefore what i'm looking for is in my case, like with CXO Talk, like excellence is absolutely essential to what we do. And so I want people who are going to give me really their best, not just in words, but I want to just absolutely their best. And that's a certain kind of person. So that ends up what I look for when I hire somebody, just for, as an example. Hmm. So, so basically, if I got it right, during the interview, you're not uh, checking the technical skills. You're looking for, uh, you know, you're looking deep in their souls, understanding whether they will be loyal to you in the long term, whether they will share the project values with you and all that stuff. Correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I validate that they have the technical skills, but usually by the time I talk to somebody, you already know. I've already done so, you know, I've researched them. I don't just invite people in uh -huh. uh, because it takes so much time uh, or even talk to them on the phone. I research them. Uh -huh. And if there's a project manager, then I, then the pro I have asked the project manager to do the, an initial screening interview so that by the time they come to me, I'm confident that they can do the job. I'll validate 
that nobody else has made a mistake that, yeah, they really can do the job technically, but I'm looking for, can I work with this person? If I tell this person that there's some detail that needs to be done differently or better, are they going to do it with a smile because they take pride in their work or are they going to be resentful and resist doing it? That's what I'm looking for, for me. Okay, my final question to you. Can you give our listeners the recommendation of how to detect that, how to validate that, whether the person will do it with a smile or, or their hesitance? Yes, I can. The way, and I think the answer is, uh, you, you don't have a technical discussion. I, or let me rephrase that. You shift the discussion away from technology. And you, tr you, have to tr you have to get to know them as a person. I mean, start talking about something completely unrelated to technology. Talk about politics. Some <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure that I'm not sure <laughs> I would do that today. Maybe three years ago, but not. I'm not sure about today. Even three years ago, probably politics and religion is not the way to uh, to do that. Uh, but but ask them. You know, just start talking about your experience, about what, you know, something that you're doing that's interesting to you and just see how they react. Mm -hmm. You know, are they, are they friendly? Are they, are they open? Are they, do they seem mentally and emotionally flexible enough to, to take a conversation in different directions? Uh -huh. That's a form of emotional intelligence the ability to shift away from, from the technology. It's very and, interesting. Right? That's emotional intelligence. How closely, how closely do, they, do they listen? Like, for example, let me ask you. Um, you know, you have, you're involved in all of these ventures. What's the most important, what's the, what's the hardest thing about juggling all of this stuff? Oh, it's, um, I would answer that it's um, how to deal with the personal stress coming from failures. Because when we juggle them, you, sometimes you fail and you fail quite often. The more uh, ventures you have, the more opportunities you take, the more uh, companies or startups you start, the more failures you have. So that the stress which is coming out of failures and it's difficult to deal with that personally. So that's the most uh, challenging and uh, difficult part in it for me. Okay, so look at what we just did. We just completely shifted topics away from, from hiring people to a completely different topic and you jumped there and, and I asked you that without any, any planning. Uh -huh. So you jumped there very, very quickly without hesitation. Uh -huh. And right, so to me, that indicates the uh, a certain ability to there's a certain type of intellectual flexibility that's involved that's required in order to do that, and a certain uh, also a certain level of confidence that's required to do that. So you would hire me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Given, given, yeah, sure. But I also know, but 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 I also know given your background and all the things that you're doing and the fact that you're an entrepreneur and have done all of these things. So I also know that there's a pretty good bet that you're a self-starter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. That was a pretty interesting part of that. I really, I really will take that advice from you because that's, because I'm, I'm, I'm making the mistake. I'm, I'm quite often focus myself on technical questions. And now I realize that uh, this is a really good advice. Oh, well, thank you. I think the technical, and I'm not a technologist, so I don't really have a choice here mm -hmm. uh, because I don't have the ability, I'm not a developer, so I do not have the ability to evaluate technical skills uh, the way that I would really like to. So I try to get somebody else to evaluate those technical skills, but I know enough to be dangerous. I know, I know questions that I can ask that will be really hard uh, not stupid questions, but things like, um, you know, performance tuning, like say on a particular website that their performance has, has an issue. And I know that it's hard to solve because I've seen, you know, developers who work for me having trouble with that 
that kind of thing. So I might ask a developer, well, how would you address this kind of issue? Mm -hmm. But so, so you have to validate, but at the end of the day, it has to be how when you tell them what the, what you want, like how do they react? Are they excited or, or, and passionate or, or are they like, yes, I can just do that, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. It sounds good. It was really a good conversation for a whole hour and I have to wrap it up. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm honored to, to be here. Thanks I a lot. I really hope to have you with us one more time. I would love to do it anytime Thanks. you want. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye -bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye.